Oh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to sunrise on this kind of gloomy, rainy day, but we're thankful for the rain. It's been really, really dry lately, so thank, thank God for that. Um, so yeah, my name is Dan. I'm the worship director here at Sunrise, and we're excited to have you guys worship with us. We had a, a great rehearsal this morning. We're super excited to sing and to play and to praise God with you guys together. Why don't you guys stand with us? Um, I'd like to read uh, from some scripture to, to kick things off today. We're going to start worship with a song that we introduced just about a month or two ago called I Thank God. A really fun, upbeat, peppy song, just proclaiming our thankfulness to God. And I was kind of going through some scripture trying to figure out how I wanted to start things off today. And I came across um, a not well, I guess, super read book of the Bible, but um, the book of Ezra. And in this, in this book, you know, the, the, if you're not familiar with the story, but, you know, the people of God in Israel um, had kings and judges, and, and they would follow God, and then they would sin and fall away from God. Then they'd follow God, and they would sin. It was just a cyclical thing. And then eventually, um, some people from far away came and conquered them, and they were in exile in Babylon, super far away, for like 70 years. And so this book, Ezra comes along, and they are leaving exile, finally coming back to Jerusalem and rebuilding. And so there's this spirit of just thankfulness, like, God, you are finally restoring us as a people, um, and they are building their temple, and there's just this joy and thankfulness happening. So I'm going to read these, just these couple little verses that's kind of in the heart of this book. So, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments with their trumpets, and the Levites with their cymbals took their places to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Uh, so today, I don't know where you guys are at. Maybe, maybe you feel like you're kind of in exile right now and you're far away from the Lord and you're kind of needing to find your way back. Or maybe you're in a wonderful place and you're just... Um, thank, thank the Lord and being joyful right now. But wherever you may be at, let's just take this song um, and express our thankfulness to God. Maybe, maybe think of something, um, a moment or, or something in your life right now that you can be thankful for and kind of just stick that in your mind, maybe bring that picture to your mind as we sing this song. So let's worship together. I thank God. Sing wandering. Wandering into the night, wanting a place to hide this weary soul, this bag of bones. And I try with all my might, but I just can't win the fight. I'm slowly drifting, a vagabond. And just when I ran out of road, I met a man I didn't know. And he told me that I was not alone. Oh, he picked me up, he turned me around, and placed my feet on solid ground. I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, because he healed my heart, he changed my name. Forever free, I'm not the same. I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, I thank God. 
what I've seen Got no choice but to believe My doubts are burning Like ashes in the wind So so long to my old friends Burning in bitterness You can just keep it moving Nah, you ain't welcome here Till I walk the streets of gold I'll sing of how you saved my soul This wayward son has found his way back Oh, he picked me up He turned me around He placed my feet on solid ground I thank the master I thank the savior Because he healed my heart He changed my name Forever I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, I thank God. Here we go. Hell lost another one, I am free. Oh, I am free, I am free. Hell lost another one, I am free, I am free, I am free. Hell lost another one, I am free, I am free, I am free. Hell lost another one, I am free, I am free, oh I am free. Hell lost another one, I am free, yes I am free, I am free. Another one, I am free. I am free. I am free. You pick me up, you turn me around, you place my feet on solid ground. I thank the master, I thank the savior because he healed my heart, he changed my name forever free. I'm not the same. I thank the master, I thank the savior. Here we go. I thank God. I'm not held by my own 
Song. 
sing hallelujah to the everlasting one. There is no higher name. Jesus, you reign above it all. our shoulders in your presence, that we don't have to carry the weight, we don't have to succeed or get 100% on that test or get that promotion, but God, that we can relax our shoulders and know that you are carrying us through. We don't have to do it on our own. God, we're thankful today. We are thankful people, knowing that wherever we may be in our walk, that you are there with us. That we may find ourselves wandering, but we know that you are there to guide us back. That you're not a far off distant God looking down and judging us, but you are a close, intimate Father who longs to be close to his children, longs to be in a relationship with us. And so God, we declare your goodness and your kindness that you do reign we join in the heaven song right now declaring your greatness you are good in Jesus name amen why don't you guys take a seat sweating up here. <laughs> well, I do have a couple of announcements to bring to our attention today. Uh, but first, I want to just thank you guys for being here. Thank you for, to our guests for being with us this morning. If this may be your first time with us, uh, we want to welcome you. And there is a QR code on the back of all the seats. If you're joining us for the first time online, uh, there is going to be a code that drops in the comments you can click on. Uh, that'll bring you to our announcement page with a, a little slide that says something about welcome for your, um, your first time here. On that little link, there's a couple questions you um, can answer. Just 
we'd like to know how, you, how you're doing today and what, if you have any questions for us about the church and what it means to be a part of Sunrise. So take a second to fill that out. And if, again, if you're a first-time guest today, we'd like to meet you back at the Connect table after the service. We have a little gift to give you as well. Um, so on to the announcements. Uh, so there are quite a few of them, so uh, bear with me on them. Uh, again, the, that QR code that you can scan on the back of the stairs, that brings you to our announcement page. So if you forget anything I'm talking about, it'll be in there. Or the email, that if you guys got that um, today, if you're a part of our email list, that also has all the announcements as well. So we've been talking about this a couple weeks. After the service today, the plan was to go to the beach at Tunnel Park. It's a bit wet today. I'm pretty sure everything is wet, and there's probably like branches and things down all over the place in Tunnel Park. So we're going to postpone that, maybe to next week or the week after, but just um, we'll let you guys know uh, via email or um, the Facebook page as well. Shine, let's take a look at that. We'll let you guys know maybe next week after the service or the next week if we'll be doing that. So um, we, we just want to have fun with you guys out, out of the park, have a picnic lunch, but just not today. We're going to get wet out there. So next, uh, speaking of Lake Michigan as well, Sunrise students will be heading to Lake Michigan for their get-together this week from 6 to 8 o'clock. Um, Tanner will be sending out all details on that this week before Wednesday night. So I'm guessing swimsuits are going to be involved. So uh, plan on that, kiddos, or Sunrise students. That'll be going out. Um, the news will be going out this week on that. Next, uh, Sunrise Kids play date is this Friday at the Cotman's. Parents, um, if you are with your little ones and you want to get out of the house and get something or have some fun, uh, maybe not with your toys or someone else's toys, head over to the Cotman's house um, at uh, this Friday from 9 to 12. Um, her email address is right there. If you don't know Audra, you can connect with her and she'll give you the directions to her house. I'm sure that'll be a super fun time for your kiddos. Next Sunday, so a week from today, we're not going to be meeting in here. for Our service will be meeting over at Hager Park. Um, so we've done that the past couple of months, and we'll do it again next month through this, just through the summer. So uh, we'll have some signage if you've not been there at Hager Park for our service before. We'll have some signage that will bring you to the south side of the um, park, and we'll meet across the street. And so make sure you bring your lawn chairs if you'd like to hang out a little extra and play in the playground with the kids. You can bring a lunch as well. Some people like to hang out for the, a good couple hours after the service and enjoy the park there. So that's next Sunday after the, or for the service. Lastly, um, Pub Theology is August 2nd, um, so next Tuesday at Hudsonville Grill. So guys, if you um, would like to join us, um, Noah Matthijs leads that group. We hang out at Hudsonville Grill, have some drinks, and just um, bring a, some theological topic that Noah or Byron or someone brings up, and we sit and discuss it, and it's always a very fun conversation that we have. So um, if you've not been a part of that, guys, um, email, it's not on there, but email info at Sunrise Men, and we'll get you guys all the info on that. So that is next Tuesday at 6.30, Hudsonville Grill. <sighs> take a breath now. That was all the announcements. So again, if you forgot half this stuff, just scan the QR code and it'll bring you there. So for now, we're going to take a few minutes to greet one another. And also, we do have programming for the kids back in uh, the Sunrise Kids area. So um, kids age kindergarten to fifth grade, you guys can head out. And the rest of us, you guys can stand up and greet one another. Good morning, everyone. We'll give you a couple more seconds to find your seats, and then we'll get started. What? Uh, this morning, Sunrise, I have the privilege of introducing our speaker, uh, Dr. Jeff Fisher. 
uh, was a professor at Kuiper College, where Julie and I graduated. Um, eventually, he and his wife officiated our wedding. Uh, and then you and a group of folks from Kuiper went on to start the Foundry, which is an organization built on equipping God's people for ministry. So uh, thank you for coming this morning. Yeah. Thanks, Noah. It's good to be with here, you all here this morning. Um, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 3. So if you've got a Bible um, or a Bible app, usually in my classes I didn't allow computers and laptops and all that stuff. Julie, no, I know that. Um, but for in this case, you can use a Bible app or uh, a website. And uh, I'm going to invite you to, to uh, read 2 Corinthians 3. We'll read 2 Corinthians 3 here. Um, I'm going to focus on verse 18, but we're actually going to need the context, a little broader context, to see what's going on there. So I'm going to start reading in verse 7. Um, and in our church, we stand for the reading of God's Word. So I didn't even have to invite some people, and they did it. That's cool. I was told I could try anything and see who would do it. So, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Much of this letter, this second letter to the Corinthians, uh, to the people in Corinth, to the church in Corinth, including this chapter, uh, the, the, the previous few verses here, is Paul's response to the criticisms that he and his companions had been receiving that his preaching and his message were not very impressive. He's not making much money off of it. It's not very flashy. It must not be very good because many people, including his fellow Jews, aren't really responding to it all that well. And there are lots of other preachers, philosophers, teachers of his day who had come and they would bring their teaching They would come with letters of recommendation, letters of commendation, and draw big crowds, and lots of people would come listen to them, and they'd get huge responses, and people would love what they would hear and what they would say, and they'd go away satisfied and happy. Perhaps in today's language, we could say that they were the influencers 
They were the ones who people followed. They got lots of likes and shares and all that kind of stuff. Whereas Paul's message about a crucified Messiah, about suffering and death and repentance, that really wasn't so awesome. And so he's receiving a lot of this criticism here. He's not getting those likes and shares and thumbs up from the people there. And the money, he's not getting the money either. And so the people in Corinth have been questioning and wondering, like, is your message really that awesome? Is it really that great? And so here in our chapter in 2 Corinthians 3, part of his response to these criticisms is one of these great texts where he talks about how glorious, how awesome, how great this message actually is. And that it truly changes lives. It transforms people. And so what I want to see as we look at this this one verse, but then the broader context in particular, is that God the Spirit transforms us to be more like God the Son as we receive more glory from God the Father. Or the way I've titled this, we are transformed by the Trinity. And we're going to see this if you look again at verse 18. I'm going to kind of walk us through that verse. We all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, for the last 18 years, I can't believe it's been that long, actually, uh, one of the key focuses of my ministry has been spiritual formation. Uh, when I was ordained as a, as a pastor, my first position was, the title was Pastor of Teaching and Spiritual Formation. When I was a professor of theology at Kuiper College, one of the courses that I taught many times was spiritual formation. And now, working with the Foundry, this ministry that works to strengthen and support church leaders by making the kind of stuff we were doing at college and seminary level accessible to churches and church leaders, one of my main focuses is spiritual formation. And I love being able to not only teach the truths of Scripture, what it shows about spiritual formation, but also getting to see the lives of people being changed and shaped by the work of the Spirit. And so again, it's, it's exciting and it's an honor to be here and to see some of the work that Noah and Julie, people who I've had a chance to participate in their growth and their lives, now flourishing in ministry as well. And this is 2 Corinthians 3, especially verse 18, one of the first passages, if not the first passage, that I take people to when talking about spiritual formation. It's in, one of, it's in this verse where we see this language of transformation and the work of the Holy Spirit as we explore ways to engage in that process of transformation. So as we look at this passage, in verse 18 in particular, I want us to see four aspects of spiritual transformation. And when I was working on turning this, which normally is a lesson, into a sermon, I was able to put each of these four aspects to start with the letter A. And so the first aspect of transformation is access. We have access. There's nothing restricting us from the Father's glory. Verse 18 begins with this phrase, We all who with unveiled faces, unveiled faces, 
Now, this requires us to back up a bit in our passage, and then we're going to go even farther back in the Bible. As we begin reading in verse 7, Paul is doing this back and forth contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, between the law and between the ministry that he and his companions have in what we call the New Testament. And he focuses particularly on this idea of the veil. Now, Paul is, of course, referring to the veil that covered Moses' face. He's really commenting on Exodus 33 and 34. So, if you're familiar with this or you remember the events all the way back, Moses over there, Paul is way over there, so Paul's bouncing all the way back to Moses to help us unpack what it means to be transformed by the Spirit. This is what he's commenting on, this time when Moses had gone up to the mountain, first time, got the Ten Commandments, came back down, and if you remember what he discovered, the people had built a golden calf. And so Moses smashes the tablets, and the the Ten Commandments, that first set of tablets are destroyed because he's angry, frustrated at their building this idol. So before Moses goes up the second time to get the new set of tablets, we read in Exodus 33 that Moses would regularly set up this tent of meeting where he would get to meet with God and speak to him, the text says, as if one was speaking face to face. And on one of these occasions, Moses made the bold request of God, now show me your glory. This is Exodus 33, 18. And the Lord amazingly granted that request. But (laughs) he had to put some parameters on it. He had Moses stand in the cleft of the rock so that as his glory passed by, Moses would not see his face because if Moses saw the face of God, he would certainly die. But God made sure that Moses was covered until God had passed by so that Moses could see the backside of God's glory and not experience the full onslaught of his glory. So then Moses went back up to Mount Sinai the second time to receive the tablets of the Ten Commandments, and he's up there 40 days and 40 nights. And when he comes back after all that time being in God's presence, Exodus 34, 29 tells us that he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And the people freaked out. That's my Hebrew translation for Exodus 34, 30. They freaked out. They couldn't stand it that his face was glowing. And in order for the people to be able to even look at him and to be able to listen to what Moses had to say, he put a veil over his face. And then, whenever... Moses entered the Lord's presence to speak with God, he removed the veil until he came back out of the tent of the meeting. And Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. So Moses put this veil over his face so that the Israelites could not could look at him after he'd experienced the glory of God coming upon him. Because they couldn't even stand being in the presence of this second-hand limited glory that was on Moses' face, let alone be in the presence of the glory of God himself. They would have been destroyed because of their sinful and rebellious ways. Now this, 
That whole story there is what Paul is referring to in 2 Corinthians 3. And he starts this in verse 7, and again in verse 17, he makes this comment when he recounts that the Israelites could not look steadily or intently at Moses' face. And this is why Paul refers to the Old Covenant as the ministry that brought death in verse 7 and the ministry that brought condemnation in verse 9. When God's glory came into the midst of this sinful people, the consequences were condemnation and death. And the veil over Moses' face was both a physical and a symbolic way to block or filter that glory and the presence of God from the people so that they wouldn't be destroyed. But now, as one commentator nicely puts it, the veil not only preserves Israel from being destroyed, but it also prevented Israel from being transformed. And so what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians 3 is that this new covenant is so much more glorious than the old covenant, not belittling the law, not belittling the Old Testament. In fact, he's obviously confirming that it is very glorious. It came with glory, verse 7, because of its glory in verse 9. It was glorious in verse 10, and it came with glory again in verse 11. He's really reiterating, yes, the old covenant was glorious, but it had a time limit on it. He used this language transitory, though it was. It had a purpose. It was leading up to this new covenant. And so he says, now the new covenant is much more glorious. And in fact, he says that it is so much more glorious in verse 9 and has surpassing glory in verse 10. It is much greater in verse 11 that it is as if the old covenant has no glory. Because that old covenant was limited in its scope and its time. But the new covenant abounds with glory. And this metaphor that Paul uses is the veil. Moses put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from looking steadily at this filtered glory of God, the transitory glory of the old covenant that would have resulted in their death and condemnation. But every time Moses unveiled his face, it was when he would go into that tent of meeting and be in God's presence to speak with God. Now Paul is saying, that's what we get to do. We get to experience. So he uses this this veil in two different ways. One is the actual physical veil in verse 13, the actual veil that Moses wore. But then in verse 14 and 15, he talks about this veil that covers their minds, that makes keeps them dull, and that covers their hearts whenever Moses or the Old Covenant is read. So here's what he's saying. The veil, this symbolic veil, the metaphorical veil, is really over the hearts and minds of the hearer and not on the face of the speaker, like Moses. So now, if you look at verse 16, he says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Or in verse 18, our key verse here, we all with unveiled faces. 
He's saying we who are a part of the new covenant get to be like Moses was every time he entered the tent of meeting and got to experience God and God's presence. But note here, the one who turns to the Lord doesn't remove the veil themselves. We actually don't have the the power to do that. Someone else takes it away. Verse 18 says, the veil is taken away. We see at the end of verse 17 that that's the work of the Spirit. Where the Spirit is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, that's not a freedom to do whatever we want or a freedom to make whatever decisions we want or whatever choices we want. It's the freedom to be able to see and experience the glory of God and not die. It's a freedom from condemnation. And since the Lord... Yahweh, the one who gave the Ten Commandments, is the Spirit. It's the same God who gave the Old Covenant law to, through, to Moses and through Moses, who has now removed the veil that made it impossible for the people to behold God's glory and not die. And Paul is saying here, this is for anyone. Anyone who turns to Christ. Anyone can now do what only Moses got to do before. Moses was the only one who got to go up the mountain. Moses was the only one who got to go into the tent of meeting and sit in the presence of God like that. But now, because of what Jesus has done, because of his life, his death, to pay the penalty for our sins, his resurrection to conquer death and sin and hell, and his ascension where he reigns above all, over all things and over our hearts, The Spirit has removed all the veils that would prevent us from beholding the glory of God the Father. The Spirit has made it possible for us to access the glory of God the Father. And this takes us to our second aspect of transformation, our second A, and not all of them will be as long as the first one. Second one is action. So the Spirit is the one who removes the veil. The Spirit is the one who is doing the transforming work. But there is something that we participate with. There is an action that we can do. And so we have access to God so that we can contemplate or behold the Lord's glory. So verse 18 continues, We all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. We are being transformed. So transformation happens through contemplation. Now this is a tricky term. We, have, we, we mean lots of different things in English, different ideas of what contemplation means or what it might be. And in the Greek here, this term can also be translated in different ways. So depending on what translation you're reading, if you have the NIV like I do, it says contemplate there, but then it also has a little footnote that notes that it could be translated reflect which if you're using the older version of the NIV is actually what's in the text, it says reflect. If you're using the ESV, it has beholding. If you're using the New Living Translation, uh, it has see and reflect, and the New American Standard has beholding as in a mirror. So while the verb itself can mean contemplate or reflect, And there may be some good theological reason why to to translate it as reflect because we can only reflect the glory of God in a way that that kind of parallels the the glowing of of Moses' face. 
that somewhat veils the point here that Paul is making. It's not just that we reflect God's glory to others, but that when we have unveiled faces, we get to be like Moses was and sit and stare, behold God's glory himself in himself. The point that Paul is making is now that anyone who turns to the Lord, turns to Jesus, can be in God's presence like Moses was. That's what he's saying. And in just a few more words, he's going to say that gives us ever-increasing glory. Or from one degree of glory to another, again, depending on your translation. So like Moses, we contemplate or behold the Lord's glory We set aside, we can set aside times, regular times, when we turn our attention to and our affection to behold, our gaze to focus on Jesus, to focus on the work that he's done, to look intently at the incredible and gracious gift we have been given. For some, this is going to be extended times of deep prayer. For some, it will be intently studying the Bible. For others, it will be meditating on smaller portions of the Bible. This is often where the various spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices are brought in, whether it's fasting or solitude or Sabbath or confession, corporate worship. Those kinds of things are are the actions we can take, not that we're causing the transformation to happen, but the language I like to use is to put ourselves in the path of the Spirit's work of God's grace. And the good news is that he has actually given us the ability to do that. And so this is our third aspect, our third A. We have the ability to be transformed. And this is in contrast to something that the Old Testament people did not have because they existed prior to the work of Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit who is now given to us to make this transformation happen. Because this is the crazy dilemma here, that it's both the easiest and the hardest part of spiritual formation. You cannot transform yourself. You can't do it. It doesn't work. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much you do, no matter what right theological answers you have, you can't transform yourself. Notice verse 18 again. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed. So if there's any language fans out there, and if you're a language fan, then I can probably call you a grammar nerd because you would take that upon you like me. I'm a grammar nerd. You can tell this is a present progressive passive verb. And that means that the action is happening to you. You are not doing the action. Someone else is doing the action to you. And again, we see that the end of this passage, this verse here, this comes from this Lord, the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul tells us exactly who the active agent in our passive transformation is. It's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit does this transforming work, and He is continually doing it. We are being transformed. But this isn't just kind of some nebulous, aimless, generic change, getting better, becoming a better Christian, whatever that might mean. He specifically notes we are being transformed into his image, into the image of Christ. And this is one of those places where Paul 
freely and easily shifts to another person of the Trinity with no problem. Because when we look at other passages where Paul uses the same language of transformation or confirmation, conforming into the image, it's always to the Son or to Christ. Romans 8.29, Galatians 4.19, Hebrews 1.3, Colossians 1.15. They all use this same language. And even in the next chapter in 2 Corinthians 4, we see this language that we're not transformed into the image of the Father or transformed in the image of the Spirit we are always being transformed into the image of the Son, the Lord, who is Jesus. So even though Paul never uses the word Trinity, nor does anyone else in the Bible, he's actually distinguishing here which person of the Trinity is responsible for which of these different aspects of transformation. So we could put it this way. We contemplate the Lord, the Father's glory, to be transformed into the Lord, the Son's image, by the Lord, the Spirit's work. We are being transformed by the Trinity. And we are being transformed from whatever degree of glory we currently have to ever-increasing glory. And sometimes that is slowly but surely being conformed into Christ's image. So this is the fourth and final aspect of transformation. Our fourth A is assurance. So we have access to God, to the Father, so we can engage in the action of beholding His glory by the ability given to us by the Spirit to be conformed to the image of the Son. And we have assurance that this triune work of transformation is happening and will happen. This transformation is the Spirit's work for us to be ever increasing in glory. This is a wonderful truth. And I'm sure it's one of the reasons Paul states in verse 12 here, since we have such a hope, we don't yet have everything in fullness, but we have a hope. We look forward to something. We have such a hope. We are very bold, he says in verse 12. He knows that whether we see it or not, the Spirit is always at work in us. Now, much of the criticism that Paul seems to have received It was related to the fact that his message and his preaching wasn't that awesome, wasn't that great. was related to that it didn't seem very apparent from the outside that his message really made that much difference. Now, if you're familiar at all with the two letters to to Corinth, to the churches there, to 1 and 2 Corinthians, there's divisions, there's factions, there's infighting, there's messing around with the Lord's Supper, there's immorality, (laughs) This is not the greatest group of Christians, though they're probably pretty representative of all Christians throughout all times. There is sinfulness still there. And so some of the criticism was likely that you say you preach this message, but these Christians are not living like they're conforming to the image of Christ. And that's very much a criticism we can receive today in the church. Maybe even a self-criticism that some of us might have. Well, when I look in the mirror, I don't really see a lot of transformation. I don't really behave all the time like Jesus. But here's the hope that Paul is saying here, the assurance that he gives, even when we don't see it, even when things are dark and dry and hard and challenging, the Spirit is at work. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. 
The Spirit is still doing that work. Like a seed growing beneath the ground or a a baby growing in a mother's womb or most fitting a caterpillar inside a chrysalis, this transformation is happening for those who have trusted in Jesus. It's guaranteed that that's the work that the Spirit is going to do to make you more and more like Christ. But kind of like that butterfly, that caterpillar inside the chrysalis that comes out as a butterfly, the metamorphosis, which that's the word that we get from the word transformation here, the metamorphosis inside the chrysalis, we don't get to see. We don't see that transformation that is happening. And similarly, many times in our lives, we may not actually see the transformation that is happening. And like Paul like Moses, like many Christians throughout generations, it's actually in the hard times and in the discouraging times and in the tough times that that transformation is taking place. And then it will be evident at some point when that butterfly emerges that we have been more and more increasingly conformed to the image of Christ. Now, we're never going to exactly be like Jesus, and we're never going to have the same degree of glory that God himself has. All that we have is given to us from God. We don't become like him in that way, that we're as glorious as he is. But little by little, slowly but surely, we have the assurance that we are being transformed more and more toward Jesus. This is the good news, the great news that Paul expresses here. Not only does he have this hope himself, but he's also communicating to those in the church at Corinth and to us today that we who believe in Jesus, we have such a hope. God the Spirit is at work forming you, shaping you, working deep in your heart to transform you to be more and more like Jesus, more and more into the image of His Son so that you can glorify God and He enables you to have that experience of being in His presence and receiving more and more of His glory as we behold His glory. And we all now get to have unveiled faces so that we can turn to the Lord Jesus, behold the Father's glory, and be transformed into the Son's image by the work of the Holy Spirit. We are being transformed by the Trinity as we trust more and more in the work of Jesus himself. Let's pray. Spirit of God, we thank you that you not only breathed these words so long ago that were given to us, but that you continue to do your work in transforming us, in shaping us, to be more and more like Jesus. And we pray that you would give us the grace we need to grow us so that we may trust more in Jesus and follow him in all that we do. We ask all this in his name. Amen. Lord, I continue in worship by singing, by proclaiming his goodness that Jesus is Lord and he is, yeah, he is ours. So let us uh, 
Let's just be in that mindset to worship him, but also use this time to worship him by giving of our tithes and offerings as well. We do have that bucket in between the doors and the table in the back, and also the QR codes you can scan to um, to bring to the website to give online. So let's worship. Let's sing that the Christ is magnified in our lives. Let's sing together. Suddenly articulate With a thousand tongues To lift one cry Then from north to south And east to west We'd hear Christ be magnified Were the whole earth Sunwing is eminence as his name would burst from sea and sky from rivers to the mountain tops we'd hear Christ be magnified let's go ahead and stand together. Christ be magnified, just let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. Christ be magnified. Every creature finds its inmost melody And every human heart its native cry Then one in one in raptured hymn of praise We'd sing Christ, be magnified Oh, be magnified true 
If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Cause death is just a doorway into resurrection life. If I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. And as you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing and my song will be the same. Oh, Christ be magnified, just let his praise arise. Christ be magnified. my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art, how great Thou art, how great Thou we go from this place to magnify Christ, receive this blessing. This comes from the end of, of the chapter or the end of the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 13. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.